following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. College football title game edition with a full my wise guy roundtable to my right. Brad Powers in front of me. Ken Thompson to my left. Steve Fezzik. I'm R.J. Bell. You guys, this is the title game. We're here almost a week ahead, and we're going to give you the level of depth you deserve on such a big game. We're going to break it down with every step that a typical professional handicapper is going to take. First, recap of the last game. Then power ratings. Then injuries. Then home field advantage, if any. Then situational things like, hey, the experience in a title game, the travel, etc. Then we go to trends and systems. Then the player matchups between the teams, the coaching, any market reads from the betting market, and then how do we bet and when do we bet? How? I mean, money line, spread, props, etc. and when. Yes, that comprehensive on Alabama, Georgia. Then we're going to talk a few side topics. Should the Ohio State Buckeyes have made the title game? Some strong opinions. I'm going to keep across the desk from Ken on that one. I think we're going to disagree. Same question. Should Central Florida, undefeated, have made the title game? By the way, they beat Auburn, the team that beat Alabama. Hmm. Then a little tease to what's going to be coming up starting soon, which is overrated, underrated college basketball teams from Brad, from Ken, and then Fez, an NBA specialist, is going to give us a improperly rated team. Let's get straight to it. Recap the game. Brad, take away, and let's go with, we'll start with the amazing game for the ages, I think it's fair to say. Georgia, Oklahoma, Give us the non-obvious takeaway, specifically when it comes to Georgia. I would say defensive adjustments or, and lack of adjustments from Oklahoma's offense in the second half. Biggest takeaway I had, I thought Georgia defensively clearly was not used to playing that style of an offense. I'd only seen it one time all year, the Missouri game. Very similar game to the Missouri game where they allowed almost all their points in the first half made the adjustments in the second half. We saw Oklahoma go from being unstoppable in the first half to basically nothing. I mean, that's two times we've seen it now. Incredible second half adjustments by a Georgia defense playing an up-tempo spread team. Now, was it adjustments at halftime or was it Oklahoma getting conservative? I would say 60-40 adjustments by Georgia and also, 40, obviously, 40% Oklahoma getting a little too conservative. So if I'm listening, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Georgia didn't look great. I mean, if we have to think who exceeded expectations more, Alabama, obviously, over Georgia. But can we dismiss it by saying quirky offense that Georgia was less inclined to do well against, and thus we got to give them a break 
grading them as fall of uh, as not doing as well as Alabama. I think that's fair. And as far as how I handle my Georgia power rating, I actually upgraded them a half point, mainly because the market, I was completely against the market. My market said Oklahoma should have been favored in the game. And Georgia, in my opinion, at least how I thought it would play out, exceeded expectations a little bit. I'm going to ask this same question of everybody. If Georgia and Oklahoma played again next week, what's the line? Mm, it's definitely not three. I, I would say Georgia won. That's interesting because on one hand, you're saying you've upgraded Georgia. Now, did you upgrade Oklahoma? I did a little bit Oklahoma offensively. Well, you know, obviously second half was bad, but I didn't expect Oklahoma's offense to do anything near what they did to Georgia's defense in the first half. But relatively, but you're saying you would have had Oklahoma around pick them. What, what was your power rating before this game? Well, uh, it was with a healthy Baker Mayfield, and maybe that was part of it because you heard him in the post-game press conference. I mean, he could barely talk. Maybe that was part of the game. He just, you know, got a little bit tired. But with a healthy Baker Mayfield, it was Oklahoma 1 was the power rating. All right. And now you're saying you would make Georgia 1. So so you're saying relatively this game makes you think if they played a rematch, Georgia would have a better chance in the second one than you thought they had in the first one. Yes. Ken, same question to you. Let's were Georgia, Oklahoma, main takeaway that wasn't obvious. Main takeaway that wasn't obvious is that Georgia did stay with their running game in the second half, coming into the second half down 14. Thought they got a lot of momentum from that field goal at the end of the first half. It was a fluky play. It just happened. The guy made the stop, but a long field goal, a, a career best by uh, the, the kicker there, and that was huge. Puts him within two scores, not three. But then they never panicked. They never panicked and, and, and let Fromm just go back and gunsling, understanding that, wow, if Mayfield's going to put up 30 and if 31 points in the first half, we're going to have to change up and not be just running the ball or we're not going to be able to stay in this game. They didn't do that. They, they still mixed it up and they went a lot of wildcat type stuff with Michelle, with Chubb. And they felt confident enough in their offensive line in their running game that they would be able to come back what looked like an insurmountable uh, you know, spread when they were down 31-14. I really thought with Oklahoma getting the ball first in the second half, up 17 with about a minute to go there in the first half, I'm thinking Oklahoma's got this. Same game a week from today. What's your line? I'll make it a pick em. I mean, I really think that both teams could win this game. It just depends, you know, who stays with what. I really do think you said, Brad said he thought 60-40 as far as Georgia making adjustments in the second half and Oklahoma 40% conservativeness. I'm 70% Oklahoma getting conservative, totally going away from what got them there, especially in the first two series, and getting good gains on first down to where you had second and two and third and one and not one time ever thinking about throwing that football and just basically trying to will themselves into first downs, which is something they did not do in the first in the first half. I felt totally confident in Oklahoma's offense in the first half. By the middle of the third quarter, I felt no confidence in Oklahoma's offense. Before we go to Fez, when we say, hey, if the game gets replayed, there's actually, if you think about it in a nuanced sense, two ways to think of that hypothetical. One is we go back in time and replay the game with no one knowing anything that they learned from the first game, or it's, hey, it's an actual rematch. If it's an actual rematch, I make Oklahoma the favorite because I think Lincoln Riley, as as much of a prodigy, and he truly is a prodigy as a coach, you know, he's young in, in such a, a way relative to uh, other elite coaches, 
that I think this is the kind of mistake he makes once. And, and I would think literally if he had another chance at this, he'd, uh, his aggressiveness with the Sooners in the second half would be different. Fez, number one takeaway with a Georgia perspective. Georgia defense overrated. Part of that was they're going up against a system that they hadn't seen. And let's face it, Oklahoma's offense is just incredible. They're a yard per play better than anybody else. But nevertheless, they were that close to getting run right out of that Rose Bowl. They were hanging on by their fingernails. And that field goal at the end of the first half largely kept them in the game, I think, psychologically. Even so, very end of the game, five minutes to play. Oklahoma is up seven. They got the ball, and they run the ball three straight times. I think it's 80-20. Oklahoma just got way too conservative. Does that make you downgrade Georgia's defense against Oklahoma or against Alabama? Or is it that this defense of Georgia just wasn't able to defend an offense like Oklahoma? It's a great question. I'm going to downgrade their defense, but it may not have much of an impact against Alabama and a quarterback hurts that frankly just cannot make the plays that a Baker Mayfield can make. What's the line if this game gets replayed next week? Pick them. <laughs> I'd like to see it again. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was pick them at the end of regulation. So I can't really argue with that. All right. Next game. It's Alabama and Clemson. Let me pose this. When we were on Fox national radio, I liked Clemson. And my concern was that this team that was 35 to one entering the year, won some let's give their coach a ton of credit. And let's give, you know, to me, a team that isn't supposed to be in the top, you know, six or eight, really. And you might say, well, in the AP they were, but in from the Vegas perspective, they weren't right at 35 to one. They were what? Like the 15th favorite. Yeah. Not in the top 10, probably 12, 13. Yeah. A team like that that gets to the playoffs. I, I love that. Even if you're not that kind of experience, that sense, we're going to make it even during our down years. I love that. Yep. So, but was it that we kind of thought Clemson was better than they were because it was a matter of not losing games. They should have won it. Even if they were truly 35 to one, which a good coach will do most of the time, avoid losing those games. And then just win. you know, Florida state being hurt and the couple other things that just allowed them to have the path they did. So let me start with you, Brett. How much did you downgrade Clemson? After that performance, two points. I'm going to ask you guys to talk about the number one Alabama factor, but one thing I'm particularly interested in is do we really think Alabama is better than we thought by any significant amount, or was this about Clemson not being as good as we thought? I think you got to upgrade Alabama for, uh, at least a point because their defense you know, exerted their will much like they did the first eight games of the season prior to the linebacker injuries. Look, Clemson's offense, at least against the competition that they played the first 13 games, was just as good as an LSU offense, a Mississippi State offense, and even an Auburn offense that Alabama struggled with, at least containing down the stretch. So I think getting a couple of linebackers back, at least on paper, it looked to be all the difference. I mean, they just they dominated a Clemson offense. And you just look at what Clemson's been the last 10 years under Dabo Sweeney. That was the second fewest yards that Clemson's gained in 10 years. So that... To me, you got to upgrade Alabama. Boy, I just got skepticism. All right. Yeah. I hear you. I yeah. hear you. Ken, same question. Number one takeaway. Uh, number one takeaway is that Kelly Bryant looked like a deer in headlights from the start of the game there for Clemson. And I thought 
he would come in and be undaunted and be able to, you know, compete the way he did during the regular season. Uh, again, maybe the step up in competition, but maybe the first time to a game of this magnitude to thinking, maybe maybe not thinking, maybe just going out there and just not executing and then finding himself behind the eight ball. I never felt the confidence that he was going to be able to throw this ball more than 10 to 15 yards down the field. I just never felt it. He never gave me that feeling. The only time, you know, that I thought maybe they could come back is maybe turnovers, if they could cause a turnover, or if he would start taking off and running a lot more. But I just, I felt no confidence in Kelly Bryant. It was the first time all season uh, when he was healthy that I saw him, that I just didn't feel that way. And I thought Alabama's defense stepped up and they forced him to basically have to throw the football when he didn't. And they were conservative. Bama knew that they were going to snuff him out. And Jalen Hurts, who last year lost that championship game and kept a picture from the celebration of Clemson on his phone saver, on his screensaver, kept it there because he said he wanted to remember how miserable he felt at that moment. And it stayed on his phone all year. Although Hertz is not a great passer, he's a winner and he finds ways to redeem himself. And so coming back, I wish in hindsight, I would have, you know, looked at this a little more closely, but uh, I thought Bryant was better than that. So, I didn't think Hertz was as good as he played last night. So do we, then diminish Alabama's accomplishment by saying that it was Clemson's quarterback that fell so short, or was it a situation? Because if it is the bright lights of the situation, mm-hmm. it's not about Alabama as much, or was it about how good the Alabama D played? Obviously, it's some mix. It's a combination, for sure. There's no doubt about it, RJ. And again, Alabama's defense is as good a defense as there is in the country every single year. I really thought without Jonathan Allen, who went on to the NFL, and several other key participants that the defensive line was not going to be near as good and put as much pressure as they did on Bryant last night and on the running game. And they shut it down and, you know, they made Clemson really look feeble. I mean, I don't think there's anybody there, Clemson fan or not, that watched that game that once it was 17-6 thought they were going to come back and you knew when it was 24-6 after the pick six. Good night, Irene. There's no sense even staying up watching. Fez, number one takeaway from the Bama, Bama perspective. I think getting two of the linebackers back that were injured was huge. Mississippi State ran over them. Auburn ran over them. Clemson couldn't run. And then kudos to Saban. Hey, I'm not playing Watson anymore. I'm playing Bryant. And he stacked eight in the box. And Clemson couldn't run. And with Bryant, they weren't able to exploit that defensive technique that Alabama did. And one thing that's under the radar that they do that's the same as the New England Patriots. This is a masterful team on special teams. They kick off to the one-yard line, R.J., and it is not an accident. How many times did Clemson start on the 17 because they had to run it out and they got stacked, didn't even get to the 20, just like the Patriots do, and no other team really does it. Alabama is a net four yards per kickoff all year long. That is something we expect to continue. A net four yards per kickoff relative to? Field position. So they, on average, start. I don't have the exact number. Start on the 27, and their opponents start okay, on the Okay, net, net against them, their own field position. So, Brad, you had some skepticism, and and I did too. The thought was, yeah, it's good that Bama's getting some linebackers back, but, hey, their backups are mighty good anyway, and it wasn't the best linebackers. After watching the game, reconsider? Uh, I still have some skepticism because, let's face it, Clemson, at least offensively, you know, when you can't throw the football, like Kelly Bryant showed that he didn't, you know, I wonder if Alabama looks that good against Oklahoma's offense. I don't know if a true freshman quarterback in Jake Fromm is going to be able to exploit it, but if they were playing an Ohio State offense, a USC offense, an Oklahoma, I to me, maybe they're still exploited, but obviously Clemson couldn't throw the football, and like Fez says, they just stacked the line of scrimmage, and it was pretty much like even Ken said, good night, Irene. 
Why did we go over the recap first? Because the last game, the most recent game, especially against strong competition, is the most telling. If you could only have one data point, you'd want this game. And that data point is one, though, amongst the season's worth when it comes to power ratings. Brad does his power ratings, in my opinion, the best Vegas perspective power ratings in the world that are publicly available. Okay, Brad, right now, no home field advantage consideration. What's the math between Alabama and Georgia? Yeah, I have Alabama pure power rating about 3.79 to the hundredth of a decimal point. That's what the pure power rating says they should be favored by. And that's always taken in consideration, you know, what, what the Vegas line when you say the power ratings difference. Okay, so the current number right now, taping on Tuesday afternoon here in Las Vegas at the pregame.com studios, four and a half, Bama, four and a half. So right now we're thinking value Georgia, but there's many other factors yep. to consider. Does anyone disagree with that power rating in any significant way? One of the ways to kind of really get a feel if a power rating is right is common opponents. So, Ken, let's start with you. Give me a breakdown of what you think is the most telling common opponents between Georgia and Alabama. Well, realistically, Alabama did away with the weaker uh, teams there in the SEC, just dominated them. But the one team that we'll look at right away and think of is Auburn because that's Alabama's only loss. And that game was in Auburn. And, you know, no doubt the Crimson Tide got in the face of Jalen Hurts and their front four made a difference and they rode the momentum of the crowd. Georgia ran into that same Auburn buzzsaw at Auburn. So both teams lost to Auburn there. Very tough place to win. Georgia showed that given time, preparation and understanding the way Auburn runs things, that on a neutral field they could take care of business, which they did in the SEC championship. And I have no doubt that SEC championship-wise, if it was Alabama and Auburn, I would take Alabama the same way on a neutral field. So, so in that first game between Auburn and Bama, you think it was mostly home field that put Auburn over the top? I I do. Does anyone disagree with that? Uh, I just think Auburn was able to exploit with the run game and the pass game, the mix. They really took advantage of Alabama's injuries at linebackers, unlike some of the other teams that they played against. I mean, you, you look at their quarterback, Jared Stidham. I mean, outside of Nick Fitzgerald or Mississippi State, there's not a lot of quarterbacks that Alabama face that can, you know, beat you run pass. And that's what I thought Auburn exploited. So what I'm hearing is that, and they say this against any great coach, if you have a one-dimensional offense, you're not going to win. You need a two-dimensional offense. Auburn has a two-dimensional offense when they're healthy, right? Yeah. Okay, so does Georgia right now? No. They don't. Jake Fromm is a decent scrambler, maybe a little bit less of a scrambler than Jared Stidham, but but they're mainly one-dimensional with their ground game. Okay, so when when's the last time we've seen a team beat Alabama with a one-dimensional offense, especially if that dimension isn't a mobile quarterback, which in general has been their weakness? I think you actually have to go back, and I'm racking my brain, I think Steven Garcia, South Carolina, 2010. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> I mean, have we maybe stumbled upon the key point here is Bama is good against any one dimensional offense, especially good if that offense isn't a scrambling type where they do have problems with. And that means that if you like Georgia here, it's going to be a low scoring game. I mean, and again, punt returns, you never know, though, as Fess says, the special teams is so good for Bama. You don't expect that to be a problem I mean, is this a situation we're already identifying is Bama either wins big or it's a low scoring game and, and, and Georgia might cover. 
Uh, I think. I mean, so. does Georgia put up? What, what's the odds of Georgia putting up thirty in this game? Very low. I would have one of my biggest bets of the year under thirty. I mean, right now the total is forty-five. So obviously yeah. thirty. So so let's think about this. Uh, so they're saying twenty-five twenty, right? Yeah. Is about what we're expecting. Um, Fez, what's what's your money? I mean, do you think Georgia gets over twenty? I don't. And the matchup, you you nailed it. You don't beat Alabama by running the ball. Well, that's what Georgia does with their two-headed monster. Georgia is awesome at running the ball. They run it 67.5% of the time. Well, Alabama's D, even with some the linebacker injuries over the course of the season, they give up 2.7 yards per rush. That's number one in the NCAA. It's a horrible rushing matchup for Georgia. I think Georgia knows, though, going into the game, and I think you're going to see some stuff early from them that they know – Alabama, they know the defense. They know they're not just going to be able to line up, go wildcat, run Michelle, run Chubb like they did against Oklahoma. Oklahoma's defense has holes in it. There's no doubt about it. But I think Georgia will come out and they will throw the ball early. And that's the way that they're going to go into the game, I feel, knowing the way that you're going to beat Alabama is to soften up. You cannot have eight in the box. You've got Fromm, who's a better passer than Kelly Bryant. So let's not, he may not be a scrambler like Kelly Bryant, but if we give him some time and he throws a couple long passes, even if they're incomplete, you've got to loosen up those backers. You've got to keep those safeties off the line of scrimmage. They never did that. Clemson, I'm saying Clemson never did that. Georgia will do that. Georgia will come into a game in with a game plan, I feel, to throw early and often in the first half to try and loosen up Bama's defense. Otherwise, I know Smart knows they have no chance. Okay, back to common opponents. Brad, any other takeaways common opponent-wise? Not, not too much. I mean, the other significant common opponent would be Mississippi State, and I don't think it's necessarily fair to Alabama because it was a disadvantage. They're banged up uh, with linebacker injuries, cluster injuries. They're on the road in Starkville, a nice spot for Mississippi State. Georgia dominates Mississippi State, but it was a good situational spot for Georgia catching Mississippi State at home. You know, I wouldn't look at those two scores and say, hey, Georgia, far superior porn performance because of that. I mean, both. And then the other two would be Vanderbilt and, uh, you know, the, in Tennessee. And then both teams just wiped them out. So the, Auburn and Mississippi State are the only two common opponents that matter. That has anything. You know, one thing I was looking at is the LSU Notre Dame game, because remember, Georgia played Notre Dame and Bama played LSU and Notre Dame won that game. But. It was a misleading game. I think LSU wins that game eight out of ten times if they replay it, so I threw it out. Okay, next factor, injury. So, Brad, when you have a power rating, you are making an assessment of what players are going to be on the field this week. So is there any injury that really affected your power rating, and is there any uncertain injury, as in if this player plays it's important, and if he doesn't, it's important kind of thing. Yeah, and it's the linebacker for Alabama, Anthony Jennings, that had a big performance against Clemson, three tackles for loss, got hurt late in the second half. They're saying sprained knee, but, I mean, you looked at him on the sidelines and crutches, I would say he's more doubtful than probable, so I did factor him in. Remember, we're taping early, so this is information you should be able to get before Monday's game. Great point there. So, I, I as far as my power rating, I considered him more doubtful. And I did, you know, most linebackers aren't worth much. I did make it a quarter point because Alabama still has a couple of linebackers that are already out. So this would be 
the third linebacker out and one of their better outside linebackers. So about a quarter of a point for me as far as the power rating downgrade for Bama. Any thoughts on that back or any thoughts on any other injuries? I yeah. make him worth. I make him worth a full point. I think the, the book on Alabama is they were beatable when they had the cluster injuries at linebacker. This guy started all year long. He's been the healthy linebacker. He had three tackles for losses. He's one of their best players. You can't lose him when you got all these other linebacker injuries. I agree 100%. I think uh, he's definitely worth a half point to a point. I think he's major because, again, the losses of Sean Deion Hamilton, Dylan Moses, two guys that are out and will not play in this game. Then you also have uh, right guard Lester Cotton. Uh, more than likely he'll go. But, again, it's a knee injury. Anytime guys get taken out of a big game with a knee injury and then they're listed as questionable, I always kind of side on caution there. Hootie Jones also, solid defensive back with 53 tackles. He's listed as questionable for this game. But getting the full week to rest up, these guys will probably be there. But, again, how much will they practice and uh, test that knee? So, again, all this stuff comes into play, but Jennings is the biggest for sure. Factor number four, handicapping a game from the ground up, home field advantage. This is one. Now what makes up home field? It's being familiar with the venue and it's the crowd. And Brad, in this one, we might be going in different directions. Yeah. And look, uh, Alabama is used to playing here. I mean, this is a new brand new stadium, but they did play here in the season opener against Florida state. They've actually played in the city of Atlanta multiple times over the last five years, more, even more so than Georgia. So people might say, why does that matter? Well, it's having a hotel you might like, Small thing, but but a factor. But playing at that venue, I think, is more important. I totally agree. But I got to think Alabama's had great success. They've won and covered every time that they've been here the last five years, counting SEC title games. So same routine as far as staying at the same hotel and everything. The stadium and the venue was right next door. So I got to think it's a similar routine. Okay, but when it comes to the crowd... Advantage Georgia. And here's why. Number one, a lot closer, 70 miles away from the campus. Number two, Georgia hasn't played a national title game in 35 years. So they have a very excited fan base, a once in a lifetime type of opportunity for this fan base. I mean, it's been there, done that for Alabama. I mean, this is their fifth title game in what, seven, eight years. So I think, you know, their fan base probably be a little bit less inclined. Maybe they are inclined, but I think Georgia's the one that's willing to pay $3,000 a ticket. So, Ken, you mentioned we can look at the ticket market as a guide. There you go. Yeah, and that was the report I saw on ESPN uh, prior to us taping the show was that the Georgia fan base is driving the ticket prices up. And again, the game in Georgia. Also, remember, Georgia's game was over first, so they already knew that their team was in there. You know, so maybe they have a chance to get uh, some of those tickets off offline uh, earlier. Yeah, and right now, as of Tuesday morning, StubHub's average paid price on its site, $2,243. If that holds, it's the highest ever in the history of college football. For the average ticket across the stadium? Average ticket across the stadium, $2,243. It'll top the 2013 BCS title game between Alabama and Notre Dame by 600 bucks. Home field advantage, Faz. Give me any thoughts and give me the net-net effect, and then we'll go back around. I'm going to bump it up to one for Georgia. 70 to 30 crowd advantage, and also, i got to go back to that Auburn game. I've never seen this from an Alabama offense before. It was loud in Auburn. The game was in on the line. I mean, it was close in the fourth quarter, and there were multiple on offense snaps that Hurts could not control, that just got snapped past his ear because of all the crowd noise. It clearly help to cost them that game and really hurt their offense. I think it could hurt them here. Okay. So let's talk home field advantage first. Ken, what's your net net? Uh, net net as far as home field. Does, what do I you think? give Georgia what? Faz gave Georgia one. Yeah, I'll give Georgia one for sure. I mean, with the uh, 
70 30 advantage if he says it's something like that. Half point to a point for me, probably three quarters of a point for Georgia. Yeah. No, no hundreds like point seven nine. No, I deserve that. <laughs> I love someone yeah. with ambition, though. Yeah. Got to give him credit. <laughs> All right. Let's talk total. Right. So we'll talk some totals throughout this. So as we mentioned, total 45. Fez, you think the, the, the loud crowd, even for the Bama side, when they're trying to make noise because of the dome, obviously that hurts offense. Absolutely, because the crowd, your crowd is quiet when you're an offense, so you can be audibling and calling your, your your signals. The louder the crowd is, the more likely you're going to see the offenses struggle, and I expect it to be setting noise levels in the dome. So does anyone disagree with that? No. Okay, next factor. Oh, is- can I mention where there might be a little bit of mispricing with the total? The total snaps in the Oklahoma-Georgia game, you would think, you know, with 100-plus points, double overtime, so a lot more offensive snaps than the Clemson-Alabama game that you think was played at a snail's pace. Only eight more offensive snaps combined in the Rose Bowl compared to the Sugar Bowl. I find that to be maybe a little bit of value on the under because I think if you look at Oklahoma-Georgia, you're thinking, hey, they're running high tempo. They're moving up and down the field. It was just two offenses that were completely maybe the most efficient I've seen all season in any game. Number five factor, situational factors. And we have a lot of subsets here. Let's start with this is a title game, which is unlike any other experience when it comes to the bright lights, when it comes to a postseason game with a quick turnaround. Brad, how do you handicap that factor? Whereas if this game were was a were a normal regular season game, how different would it be than this being a title game? I think major advantage, Alabama. They've been there, done that in a national title game multiple times, not only from the coaching staff, but also these players. So just to be clear, in the playoff era, third time in the finals, which is the rare, really think about it, at the Division One level, there had never been prior to the playoffs where you would play two postseason games. Yep. So they've done it three times, and Georgia This is zero. the first time. And so to me, from a preparation aspect, because it's so unique, you got instead of a full month of preparation, like most bowl games and what most programs are dealing with, Alabama, you know, has been there, done that and has had relative success. I mean, they split it out with Clemson, but you could argue that they were probably the better team both games, if not for one single player in Deshaun Watson. Anyone disagree? Anything to add? I'd make it two and a half because I think Georgia, this is a big negative. Two and a half points. Two and a half points wow. net. One and a half points for Alabama having the experience. One point for Georgia going to the finals, coming home, and there's like a parade and celebration. They could lose this game by 20. It's still an epic, great year for them. Okay, now that brings up an interesting point because one of the things I thought, and we talked about on the Fox National Show, by the way, guys, Friday nights, 330 stations nationwide. It's the first show ever on one of the three major radio networks, ESPN, CBS, or Fox, that is a Las Vegas odds and prediction show. Now, Ken actually probably had the biggest show ever that was on a national network, the Yahoo network that was a Vegas-based with a lot of gambling for multiple years, a show I was a big fan of. And Ken has his show now local in Vegas, 50,000 watts, so it goes to multiple states So, but we're very proud of our straight out of Vegas show. And we were talking about how whoever came out of the Clemson, Alabama expected war might have less in the tank. 
let's go around the horn. Ken, let's start with you is it seems like that might be the opposite. Bama had a pretty easy game. Exactly. I mean, and that's the whole thing. I think we all thought that Clemson and Bama would be just out of war, but it was not. It was a one-sided war and Bama took care of business and really dominated and again, made Clemson one dimensional. And uh, I don't think you'll get that here with Georgia though. Again, I think as strong a running game as they have going into the game, I think their coaching staff is just too smart and being so familiar with a team like Alabama that plays right there in the SEC that they understand the way to beat Bama is you've got to keep them off balance somewhat. And that's difficult to do when they when you have a, a diversified offense that is, you know, two ways, two dimensional. But if you do things just one way, you're not going to beat Alabama. You're not even going to have a chance. And I give a lot of credit to Georgia's coaching staff that they'll come up with a, a different game plan than we're all expecting. Now, some would say, and I'm not saying it's me necessarily, that the best conference, uh, the seven and one Big Ten, their champion didn't make it. And we have two SEC, even and the, the only final team that four. lost was the one you wanted to lose. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mitch, it was, a, I, you know, my tweet got a ton of attention. Is I said, perfect bowl season for Ohio State fans. Big Ten dominates. Well, we dominate. We can debate the word dominate, <laughs> is dominate the scoreboard at minimum. Right. And then the Big Ten had a great year. But if you had to pick one loser, why not make it the dastardly Harbaugh in Michigan? And in Columbus, when the final score comes across and Michigan wins, you never see the crowd chant Big Ten, Big Ten, like they do in the SEC in Auburn when Alabama wins. Well, again, there's a lot to dislike about the SEC. (laughs) Let's be honest. But here's my question. The fact that George is familiar, like to me, if if. Remember the great movie Vision Quest? Did you see that one, Ken? Uh, oh, my gosh. You got to get okay. this. So it's about a kid. who Has anyone seen it? No. Holy cow. Holy cow. All right. We're going to break right now. Watch Vision hey Quest, and we'll be right back. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the great movies of the 80s. So Matthew Modine plays, I think his last name in the movie was Swain. Lord, Layden Swain or something. Something Swain. And he wants to go on a vision quest like the Indians, the American Indians used to. And he was a a good wrestler, not a great high school wrestler. Good, but not great. In some kind of rainy town. I don't know. He had some, you know, it might've been a town of 200,000 people. I don't know. I can't remember the town, but he was living with his dad. The mom took off. She was kind of a Jezebel, I guess. She took off and he's living with his dad. His dad's kind of a sad sack. And he says, I'm going to go after the wrestler shoot. There was a guy named shoot who was like six, four. They actually had a scene where he had a, like a telephone pole on his back, walking up like steps of the stadium. I mean, this shoot was bad. And you know, Matthew Modine's like 160, but somehow they were acting like he had to lose weight to play to, to, to wrestle shoot, which was crazy. So the whole movie, he's like not eating, he's passing out. And then there's an artist girl traveling across the country who's like 22 who moves in with them. And let's just say that was distracting. (laughs) Great. I mean, guys, homework assignment. Women weaken legs. You know something, Fez? (laughs) Women weaken legs. That was a good topical (laughs) point. (laughs) I won't give away the end, but it was great. (laughs) So what was the general point about Vision Quest, though? I forget. Where were we? <laughs> oh my goodness. We we're talking about may- maybe uh, Alabama being oh, there. I got it. 
All right. If you're familiar with a dominant guy or team, in a way it could be, God, I know we can't beat them. Or it could be, they don't scare me. I'm familiar with you. So let's say if we had a team like Georgia that was from another conference, but we thought they were exactly the same. Now we could say Oklahoma because we kept saying it'd be pick them, but that's such a different matchup. Just to say a team exactly like Georgia, but from another conference, would they have a better or worse chance against Bama? And another way of asking the question is, is being familiar with Bama a good or bad thing? Because it could be bad because they're so good, it scares you. Like, your ignorance could help you think, oh, they're not really that good. I think it's a good thing for Georgia, mainly because their head coach is so familiar with the Alabama program. But here's the thing. (laughs) Whenever you have two coaches that know each other, I always want the coach that is the better coach. He's going to know how to exploit the lesser coach, right? We'll We've talk, got a trend that we'll be talking about yes, in a minute. absolutely. And I, you know, I disagree with Ken completely. I agree oh, with, with Brett. No, with Ken in terms oh. of the strategy that's going to be employed here by Georgia. I agree. Georgia should open it up, come out throwing and not running the ball. But what's happening with Kirby Smart? Oh, he's getting accolades. You stuck to your game plan. You kept giving it to Chubb and Michelle and you wore down Oklahoma. It worked, even though you were down 14 points. Major problem. What is a logical thing for a coach to do in the finals? Let's go back to Chubb and Michelle. They both averaged over 10 yards per play. They're unstoppable. I think they're going to run way too much and just get nothing in the first half. See, I think you're underestimating smart, realizing that it's Alabama's defense. Now you're going up against not Oklahoma's defense. Totally night and day. Now, let's get this is fascinating, but let's get back to the question of is Georgia being familiar, good or bad? I think it's good because they played Alabama in an SEC championship game a few years back and they had a much lesser team and a much, you know, on paper, not much of a chance. And they were right there. Probably should have won the game. Didn't close out well. So I think they'll have that in their in their back pocket. It's a few years back, but still, you know, they don't get a crack at Bama. It's weird the way the SEC scheduling works out. I'd like to see who's in charge of working these schedules out in the SEC because you see Georgia miss teams like Alabama three or four years straight on the other side from east-west. How does that continually happen? I don't know, but it has, Fez. I think it's a bad thing. I think Georgia knows that the best Alabama is way better than the best Georgia. Look at 2015. Somehow Georgia was favored in that game. What was the final score in that, 38-10? to 10? By the way, we'll get ahead of a trend here. So it's the last 110 games. 111. 111, counting this one. Yep. Georgia's, or check that, Alabama's been favored 110 out of 111 the only time was on the road at Georgia. In 2015. They yeah. were a one-point dog, and they won by what, 30, Alabama? 38 to 10. And by the way, we I got <laughs> this wrong last time, but it was 2009 since that streak began. Yep. And it, it was, was, what, Tim Tebow and the Tim title? Tim Tebow's SEC championship game, where they beat, beat Tim Tebow, and he's crying on the sidelines. Speaking of Vision Quest, oh, this is great. So I'm playing it from YouTube right now. Oh yeah, this is the So he's on the wrestling mat, like stretching. <laughs> oh man. See that move. Lunatic fringe, man, right there, baby. Vision quest. How do you spell quest? I'm on it. Q U E S T. Wow. I'm kidding. 
Johnny Quest. <laughs> Tell Haji I said hi, will you? Can we make one point? Because, you know, going back to a question from a few minutes ago, you know, we anticipated the Alabama Clemson winner being, you know, physically drained. I think, you know, the, the team that's going to be drained is I, Georgia being emotionally drained. Down 17, largest comeback in the history of the Rose Bowl. You go to double overtime, you're in a spot you've never been in. That's a negative to me for Georgia. And a further negative, I don't like this five days they spent out in la-la land going to Disney and whatever else. That impacted Oklahoma and Georgia equally in that game. That road trip to California cannot be a good thing, having to wheel back and play seven days later. And remember, we said this in the Notre Dame game, a Georgia program not used to traveling that was the first time they were north of the mason dixon line in like 50 seasons so they don't travel they're not used to it and the last thing rj as far as oklahoma running up all those points early on we all thought it would be baker mayfield's arm rodney anderson looked unstoppable i mean and rodney anderson is built the same way damian harris is built thick i mean these guys kind of like those Earl Campbell thighs, baby you're not taking them down with one guy and they had a lot of trouble georgia did with rodney anderson Earl Campbell. I still remember there was a Monday night game. I was like nine years old. And remember Houston, Bum Phillips had the great line. He goes, one year we knocked on the door. Next year we pounded on the door. And this year we're going to bust it down. Well, it never happened. But it, <laughs> it never happened. It would have happened if they had replay. Well, again, there's Mr. a... Mr. Steeler, man. You know <laughs> If I'm wrong, but that's Clemson's wide receiver, Daddy Renfro, that caught that touchdown pass that they ruled him out of bounds, right? Brad Renfro's dad? Or, or son? Really? Hunter Renfro's dad? I believe so. Is Mike Renfro? I believe so. Mike or Brad? I don't know. For I think it's names. Mike Renfro, the guy that slid in the back of the end zone. And Faz, you know what you might want to do is bring a, a computer, perhaps, and then you could look stuff up and that's then tell us. That's a suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> But, but he left it on his yacht. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I agree with Fezzo, all joking aside, the travel, I think is a negative. I think the never being the title game. So let's get to this idea of the turnaround. It's easy to say, oh, there's never this postseason turnaround, right? Uh, Where you play that second game. Is it just Saban being familiar that's an advantage or especially with the emotional win of Georgia? Is it really that simple? I think it is in this case. All right. Any other situational factors in this game? I think Bama losing in the title game last year is another plus for Bama. There's no way if they had won the last two, maybe they come in here a little overconfident off of a loss. No way. That's interesting. Next factor, trends and systems. And what's the difference? A trend is team-specific. A system is league-wide. Now, what is a trend or a system, though? Now, think about this. Since trends are often used, I think, in a not logical way, in a way which I think that there's not, they're not really predictive in a lot of cases, but, oh, you know, between three and a half and seven, if the sun sets in the east and there's a left-handed, red-headed quarterback, you know, that kind of thing. And the weather's below 32. I, and then the sample size is like six and two. You know, it's like, ah. So one of the rules we make is we want to explain the rationale of a trend first. So we could say the rationale without a trend and then the trend just 
accentuates the point. Now, sometimes trends are so big statistically that even if we don't understand them, their significance statistically is enough for us. But most of the time, that's not the case. So a trend or a system is a situation with an effect not properly priced by the market. So we've seen that in the NBA, Fez, and you'll be talking NBA at the end of the pod with like back-to-backs in Denver, I remember. Uh, tell us that old, uh, I guess that was a, a, a trend. Yeah, so you get a team playing back-to-back, the second game in altitude, so either going to Denver or to Utah, it is an automatic. You fade that team on the second game of a back-to-back against a rested mountain team. For the whole game or in the second half, I've heard? Both both work well, but the second half may, works even better. So 15 years ago, that baby was cashing like crazy, but the market's caught up to that. Yeah, so what happens now is the odds maker, even if they put the lineup incorrectly without the adjustment, bang, the betters in the first hour of the overnight line correct it. All right, so think about that. A situation with an effect. So in that case... Back-to-back and having the second game at altitude was a situation with an effect not properly priced in the line. Well, in this case, it was properly priced. Thus, it's no longer a trend we want to follow. But if you can find one situation with an effect not properly priced. Okay. So, Brad, you uncovered, and you're great with the coaches. Yep. Right? Is uh, Mark Lawrence is a guy that's always done well with coaching databases. I'm a big fan of that. I mean, to me, if you said... (laughs) Am I interested in Ohio State, let's say, the last 15 years, or am I interested in Urban Meyer the last 15 years? I'm more interested in Urban Meyer. Right now, some things are institutional, but some things are more coaching-based. So I like coaching trends. You've got one on Saban. Yeah, Saban against his former assistants, being Kirby Smart in this case. All-time for Saban, 11-0 straight up, 9-2 and against the number Average win by 29 points per game. RJ already mentioned it. If you got two coaches that are familiar, usually the one that is far superior, in this case, you think it's Saban, has a significant advantage in past history. Says 11-0 straight up, 9-2 and against the spread, multiple blowout wins. Advantage <laughs> Saban against his former assistants. So Dabo Sweeney, Urban Meyer were the two coaches we thought coming into the playoffs that, or I guess coming into the season, however you want to think about it, that Nick Saban wouldn't necessarily have a coaching edge against. It seems like he has a coaching edge here, especially with that knowledge as a former assistant. How do we quantify what What is the coaching edge in points? Half point to a point at max for me. I was thinking a half. Okay. Anyone disagree? Anyone think somehow Saban doesn't have an edge? Okay. But it's not huge. All right, Fez, you get an interesting trend when it comes to Saban and low-scoring games. Yeah, this one fascinated me. On all Alabama totals under 50 points now, every game, they're 45-19 and 19 against the spread. This shocks me because intuitively I think they do better because they're usually the favorite unless the one game they played at Georgia. And you would think the favorite would do better in higher-scoring games, more scoring. As it turns out, Alabama's a covering machine in lower-totaled games. I dug into why would this be. It turns out the conclusion that I've gotten is that the slope of the Alabama offense, yes, the term slope like a golf course, Alabama's offense is remarkably consistent. They can play an elite defense and they still get their points, but they don't do as well against a average defense. They are just are able to game plan under Saban that they can score against anyone. 
But their elite defense, when that total is low, they absolutely put the hammer down on their opponents. Their opponent's offense has so many games that they simply can't score, like the Florida State hmm. game, like the Clemson game. I would have thought, talked for a long time without coming up with that rationale. My rationale would be that the total is a surrogate for the type of offense Alabama's playing. Brad, you're not. Yes, I would agree with that. I mean, you look at the higher total games that they've struggled with, Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel. You know, even the last uh, last year's title game was above 50, above your trend, against the Deshaun Watson where they struggled with. It seems but, like that if you have – oh, go ahead, Ken. I was going to say, what would you guys make the total if it's Alabama and Oklahoma on a neutral field? Mm, I mean, it would be above 50 in my opinion. No question well, about yeah, it. I think. So, to me, it's a, it feels like you're profiling – is it going to be a shootout or not? And if it's not a shootout, that means you're going to try to muscle Bama and you don't muscle Bama. That's a great point. And Bama just doesn't handle shootouts well. I think the type of athletes they have, too, they don't have as much endurance. If they've got to, you've got to run these guys all over the field, they wear out in the fourth quarter. Now, what's fascinating, though, is how quick Saban learns, right? Because even this whole mobile quarterback thing that started with Manziel, I think it's still the case, but it's a lot less of the case than it used to be. Yeah. Right? Well, when we He's learned well. He's liked it so much that he's totally uh, changed his offensive scheme. He was mm-hmm. post-style quarterback, yep. A.J. McCarron, uh, Greg McElroy, to now he's got mobile quarterbacks with Sims, Jalen Hurts. He's t- entirely changed his offensive scheme. Exactly. It's almost like he's making it to where his quarterback doesn't have to be a key piece to beat you. He's got to be mobile, that he can run the ball, but he doesn't have to throw it very effectively down the field. It's something that Hurts has never really done, but the guy's a winner. And now his defense sees it every day in practice, so they're better adept of stopping it. The one exception being maybe a generational player in college football in Deshaun Watson in the last 20 years. And again, we can sit and talk about them getting beat, but there was a point very late in that game that Bama was a significant favorite. Mm-hmm. I mean, if their running back doesn't break his leg and they have trouble running the football after it goes out, they probably win the game. And again, that doesn't take away from Watson. No. It's, it's, you know. Okay. Any other trends? Systems? Yeah, you know what? I, I got one. And we talk about the Patriots long term since 2001. If you just blindly bet on them, Alabama, save in the same way. If you start with the first game of his second season back in 2008, Alabama, despite facing, you would think, point spread inflation because they're Alabama, 58% covers if you just blindly bet on them every single game for the last 10 years. And RJ, you brought nah, up that's a good one. You brought up a great point. It all came down to one play. Clemson got in the end zone on the final play of the game to beat Bama last year. If they don't do that, that's pretty much forgotten. And Bama is about to be the three-time defending champion, and they're laying six and a half in this game. And one that's play. the other thing is when you think of Belichick and Brady at the pro level, what do you think at the college level? You think of Nick Saban right away. Oh, no, dying. They're friends. And uh, whenever I can promise you, when Belichick shows respect to a college coach, there's a reason. And I, I'm sure there's others, but from what I have seen, it's been Chip Kelly, which, quite frankly, Belichick just wanted to understand that offense, I would think, and Saban, right? I mean, and I'm sure there's others, but those are the two that have been the most publicized. Yeah, I, I think Urban, too, because if you remember, uh, they were taking a lot of Urban's Florida players. At, at okay, the time. yeah, that's true. All right, good stuff on the trends. I especially liked... It was kind of funny, though, Brad, when I was complimenting you. Like, Fez very rarely interrupts me. Yeah. But when I was complimenting you, he, like, interrupted me. <laughs> was that an accident? I, I don't know. You know, a lot of people yeah. a lot of people think Fez has a big <laughs> ego. 
I am Elmer J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. <laughs> My ego's very small in a college football dream pod. With these two gentlemen aside here. I am Elmer J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. <laughs> That's all he's got to say. I am the two-time winner of the Super Contest. Oh! Oh. Hey, he's got my respect. I've been stuck on two for quite some time. Hey, other people wish they were stuck on one. <laughs> Rick Flair's been stuck on 16 for a while, if I think. <laughs> oh, Jeez. no. Wow. Fez. Fez. Wow. He's Mount, erratic. Mountain no. Dew's kicking he's in. He's swinging that Mountain Dew. <laughs> Here, take another drink of Mountain Dew, Fez. Right? Cannonball. And then one more, he's right on top of Cannonball. Cannonball coming. Cannonball coming. <laughs> all right matchups player matchups how do these teams match up we've talked about georgia having a non-running quarterback that's a negative ken let's start with you what other matchup here with the uncertainty at linebacker for bama um a given do you think is key i think that you're going to see deandre swift get more action in this game he's the third back of the four that they have but really it was two-dimensional with chubb and michelle and those guys running the wild card. But because Swift is a wildcat, I should say, but because Swift is such an excellent receiver out of the backfield, I think you're going to see him receiving some passes because a lot of times running back going to get a linebacker on them to cover them. And I think Swift is that guy, great soft hands. And I think they'll take advantage of that matchup and also the depletion there at the linebacker position for Bama. All right, so Swift is a Georgia is a Georgia back. running back, right? That's a that's their best receiver out of the backfield, more so than Michelle or Chubb. So we're getting you guys this pod early, so you have a chance to really digest it. Now, one of the limitations is the late releases of the props. We don't got the numbers, so let's go around the horn real quick, so you can follow on Twitter. Um, and, and get some updates on the props. Fez is a master of the props. It's at Fezzik Sports, F-E-Z-Z-I-K. That's his only Twitter account, at Fezzik Sports, F-E-Z-Z-I-K. And the thing to know about Fezzik is... I am Elmer J. Fudd, millionaire. <laughs> I own a mansion and a yacht. Ken Thompson on Twitter, Sports X Radio. And you also can get uh, links and such for his five-night-a-week radio show, Brad Powers is Brad Power 7. Now, Brad hasn't had his best year with his his personal bets, his best bets. So sometimes he'll be pouting on Twitter and <laughs> such. Just try to look beyond that. And then really, though, if you only can follow one person on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. I think that would be the choice. All right. That's just a personal opinion. <laughs> so let's talk props. So do we feel like... Ken, did that guy, I mean, is that the kind of guy you're going to get an over-under receiving yardage prop, perhaps? Yeah, and I, I would, I'm glad he pointed him out because all week long, the two guys are going to get all the publicity. Michelle and Chubb just ran for a, a combined record, 326 yards. I think the guy, and you're right, who's not going to be properly priced is their third-string guy, who they just used two games back in the SEC championship game. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Now, I'm not a daily fantasy guy, so I, I can't speak with authority. But that that kind of insight, it would seem, would have in, w advantages with daily fantasy, right? Absolutely. Okay. Um, next up, oh, let's talk other matchups. Brad, you're number one. Well, uh, one that I'm going to be very interested in, I might get involved in, is Jalen Hurts, the Alabama quarterback, over his passing yards. Because what I've seen from Nick Saban in the past, because this matchup kind of reminds me, last time we had two SEC uh, teams play, the LSU game played 
in LSU's back of the woods in the Sugar Bowl five years ago. And the game plan for Alabama in that one was not to run right at LSU, a very good defense, which Georgia has. But they came out throwing with A.J. McCarron more than any other point in the season. And we haven't seen Jalen Hurts only top 200 passing yards twice in 13 games so far. I think there's an opportunity for him to throw for over 200 yards here, and I'm anxious to see where that uh, p- the, the passing yard total is at. Wow, but A.J. McCarron is an NFL quarterback, and Hurts can't throw a lick. I really think he is the liability for this team, but I'll say this, and I'm going to bet this in props. I was shocked by this. For a guy that, is, in my opinion, is not a good passing quarterback, he only has one interception all year long. So Saban is absolutely on this kid. Do not make the mistake. So if they put up props about turnovers, who's going to have the first turnover or more turnovers, I'm absolutely going to bet on Alabama to have fewer turnovers. So this is an example where his passing interceptions are not fully luck. They're a majority, we could call it skill, or in this case, it sounds like game planning. Yeah, extremely conservative. And Alabama's defense has forced more than one turnover in 41 the last 43 games. They, there's no one better in the country of forcing turnovers than Alabama. And remember, this year's an aberration. They only had two games where they had a defensive or special teams touchdown. Last year, they had it 12 games. And I think a logical conclusion is they got lucky last year, and they've been unlucky somewhat this year. Well, that luck turned in the Clemson game. Well, we remember, too, the Ravens, man, when they were back with their heyday with their defense or special teams, what they tell Dilfer. Don't lose the game. Although Dilfer doesn't run like Hurts, it's the same thing. Don't lose the game, Hurts, because our defense, our special team's good enough to win any other game. So, Brad, we spend a lot of time talking about turnovers and, and explaining how uh, we don't think, especially taking the ball away, is predictive to a great degree. And then we say, well, no one's better than Bama. That assumes there's a skill set there. Could it be the same rationale we gave last year on the Dream? preview which is just the 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 skill advantage is so great i mean they're just bigger stronger faster i mean you're, you're holding there with the football i can rip it from you just because i'm stronger than you i'm bigger than you i'm faster than you so i think in alabama especially and if you look at their turnovers last 10 years multiple times their plus turnover ratio but just there's the better team they're physically superior it's interesting he took the first person when oh, it was yeah. being bigger, sure. He goes, I can take it from you. I can rip it from you. <laughs> and the first interception that Bama got against Clemson, have you ever seen a more athletic lineman than that interception where he almost went to the house breaking tackles after the interception? RJ, uh, RJ I will say this, though, because people from Georgia will say, Kerryon Johnson ran all over Alabama. Yes, that game was at Auburn. But Kerryon Johnson did that by himself because Auburn's backfield was depleted with two major injuries. When you have Michelle and Chubb, this is by far the best backfield that Alabama will have gone against. I mean, these are two guys that are, I mean, ridiculous. The all-time leading duo in the history of college football, total rush yards in their careers, just past the Pony Express, Craig James and Eric Dickerson. They're that good. Pony Express. Last question for you, Brad. At what age did you know for sure you could not become a professional athlete? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Eleven. Check out the big brain on Brad. But you made up for it. By being a prof- professional <laughs> handicapper? Yeah. Or, yeah, okay. Yeah, your brain. Oh, okay. See, yeah. and then, you know, when you're four, think about it. Carson Palmer retired today, and he's like, it's been a great <laughs> career, but he's 38. Not that he doesn't have anything else to do in his life, but his career, that career's over. You, right. you, you're going to be here Puttering around when you're 70, I'm sure. Let's hope. Looking for two-for-one buffet coupons. 
Fair enough. <laughs> right or wrong? <laughs> right. <laughs> Fez, how do, how does it end for you? <laughs> I don't understand the question. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just trying to think. Like when you're like, close your eyes when you're seventy. What's the what's it? What are you like trying to get on like local radio, like John Kelly's show, like today, like Bobby the Owl? I'll do, no, I'll just be <laughs> doing my gambling. I love gambling. They, they, so, I always so, told people I don't understand Gamblers Anonymous because it's not the gambling that's the problem, RJ. It's the losing. For yeah. everyone who's going to GA, I'm sorry. Go and get Ed Miller's book on how to win a poker. Study poker for six months. There'll be no more Gamblers Anonymous problems. First of all, that's horror. Uh, the the advice of Steve Fezzik is not necessarily that of pregame.com or pregame LLC, a limited liability company in Nevada. Okay. But honestly, you do realize that intellectually, it, you know, come around 60, you start to drop off. Now, if you're talking the highest level, like a chess player or something, you start dropping off at 35, right? But for most pursuits... You're fine till you hit 60 or so. And then for most people, based on your health, you see a significant drop off. No question. So instead of being a grandmaster, I'll just be an international master at this sort of thing. Ooh. (laughs) You know, Fez, you think you'd be a little shy. I am Elmer J. Butt, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. But he's not. He just keeps going. (laughs) Next factor. Oh. This is Fez's best, too. Market reading. So think about it. We got all this on-the-field stuff. But if you really think about what the market says, it's telling you something. Like, I liked Clemson. When I saw the way Bama got bet yesterday, it made me stay away from the game. Now, you might think, wait a minute. It's like getting three and a half is so much better than getting three. That's if I totally trust my opinion. I had a gut feeling, but then if I see it getting bet that way and it felt like serious money, you know, professional money moving it, it kept me off the game. So the market can tell you a lot of stuff, both line moves, also variation between books. We used to call this the old pinnacle lean. If pinnacle is one way and the market's the other, you can be pretty sure pinnacle wants action one way. That's the right side in the long run. Doesn't mean you play it blind, but you don't play against it. Also, as we often talk about, you can go to pregame.com, go to the game center, click consensus. You see the bet splits. Fez, you are, in my opinion, all joking aside, the best in the world at reading these markets. I know it's early. Do you see anything early that's telling you? I mean, as I look across, Pinnacle is at four and a half. Um, five Dimes is at four. Bovada is, you know, the squares to the squares is at five. Looking in Vegas, the square shots are at four. It looks like the sharper side is Georgia by half a point. It looks like the sharper books at four, square books at four and a half. Um, does that feel right? Yeah, I think it's going to stay four to four and a half on the spread up until kickoff. And where I'll be looking for value if you do play Alabama is the money line because we've seen this phenomenon with every Super Bowl. We see it with every championship game. There's an influx of public money and frankly, just fan money that's betting on the underdog. The Georgia fans, they want their team to win. When they go to the window, they're going to bet on their team to win, not to cover. So you'll so we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, which is how and when to bet the game. But I'm saying right now, the fact that 
the sharper books seem to be at four and the square books at four and a half. Is that just a natural bias towards the favorite at the square books? And yeah, I think the odds makers just rounded up a half a point, knowing they're going to get more action on the favorite. And so they'll be, they want to stay a little bit on top of that and be higher than the market. Yeah. And I, I think that word odds maker might be a misnomer. I think whoever does the world opener is the odds maker. And then it's the bookmaker booking, right? And again, not that it's important, but a clarification. Now, looking at the consensus tab right now. Now, listen, we've got 130 by Tuesday afternoon, Brad. We got 130k bet on this. Wow, game. that's significant. I mean, that shocked me actually. Just looking at it. Um, so, what did we see in the semifinals? Oh, the, the highest handles, obviously, that we've seen. I believe, you know, we saw $2 million, I think, that was when I was looking at it last. Yeah, with our sources at pregame.com, yes. which we get each cash bat, only place in the world with the cash numbers for free. And this is shaping up to be a pros versus Joes. 58% of the tickets on Bama, 60% of the money on Georgia. Mm. So we'll see where that goes. So, so far, it feels like... The bigger bets, well, obviously, this is objective. The bigger bets on Georgia. I never understood this at all. Someone's got to explain this to me because, RJ, if you and I were going to make a bet, am I going to get plus five on Georgia or plus four and a half reduced? I think we'd both be pretty confident that's going to pop up at some point, correct? Say it again. If I asked you, what's the best number you think you're going to get on Georgia? You can bet any time between now and kickoff. What do you think would, what would you set the over under at the best point spread? that you'll be able to wager on, on Georgia? The best number. So I think there's a 51% chance I could get a certain number. Right. I would certainly think there's a 51% chance I could get five. Is there a 51% chance I could get five and a half? I would say no. I think there's a material chance I could get five and a half, but I'd say five would be my 51% number. And what's the chance that you'll be able to get four and a half, say, starting tomorrow at any time? On Georgia? Yes. 90-some percent. There you go. So here's my quandary. Why would anyone have bet Georgia at plus four and a half year to date? There's no reason for any sharp to have made a wager yet, yet there's 130,000 sitting on it. Thus, I don't think it's all that sharp. No, but even if you have a universe, so Fezzik's making a great point, and it's, it's a deep dive. And one of the things we'll be doing in the offseason is get a chance to go deeper into this stuff um, when there's not as many high-profile games. But what Fez is saying, any individual bet split or cash split is going to be so correlated to the, the, the bet being offered. It's like, imagine that there's uh you either buy an Apple phone or the very best droid phone, Android. Right. And if you're looking at a certain best buy, but that best buy, if you just look at those numbers, but if that best buy had the Apple phone on sale better than any place in Vegas, if we said 70% this Christmas was Apple, oh, you know, buy Apple stock. Fez would say, but wait a minute. The Apple, what was being offered was more attractive than the rest of the market, whereas the droid was the same. So I, I think you make a valid point. I also think this, though, whatever the reasonable market odds are in a game, if there's bigger bets on one side, Usually they know a little bit more. They might not be the super sharpest of the sharp, but if there's 60% of the tickets on one side and 60% of the money on the other, I would say that's a sharper side. If you could even out and normalize for the, the market, as in, was there a better number here? Thus, it makes sense there's more bets here. Then I would say um, 
that's even better. I, I got to think about how we might be able to do that. Brett. Can I make another point? You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, what percentage of the public, the, the square money is being bet six days before the game? I would argue that the public's betting on game day. I think these kind of games might be the exception okay. to that. I agree with that because what about all the people that may have been in Vegas you know, for to watch the final four and before they leave, yep. they want to get their bets okay, in. Fair enough. With Vegas numbers, especially, I think you get more square action during the playoffs and stuff, especially with March Madness coming up and people planning to come back because most people don't want to send their ticket in. But if they're planning to come back at any point soon, but it's a good point in general, I think is in general game day is public action. I think the biggest football games that it might not be as much the okay. case. Thank you. If we agree on that. Okay. So Fez, anything else you're seeing when it comes to reading the market right now? Like the current market? Just on the total that it has been a tsunami of money on the under open 48 to 47 and it has just free fallen and all the sharp books that I looked at before I came in were at 45. The recreational books 45 and a half and even a 46. Which is another example, it would seem, of the sharp money being on the under. And especially if you're getting early total batting, that's going to yeah. be pretty sharp. So good last point. Okay, when to bet, how to bet. So, Fez, you've got a great theory uh, that, it's, that has made the rounds um, for a few years or more. And it's about the money line and the way the money line actually is a little bit skewed when it comes to these big championship level games. Yeah, so the money line tends to go down if the point spread stays the same because so much square money, recreational money comes in on the underdog that in a case like this game, although it's currently maybe minus 185 on the favorite, by the time this game goes off, if the spread doesn't move, it stays four to four and a half, I would not be surprised if I don't get a minus 165 money line, take back plus 145 at post. And also, also it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy because the wise guys, you know, we go get our cigars and we have our meeting. We're like, oh, we're not going to bet the money line until right before kickoff. And so there's no wise guys betting on the money line until then while the public drives that money line downward. Well, first, it's not cigars. You guys are eating like big <laughs> orders of fries with gravy on them, right? And chicken wings. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Just a lot of cholesterol, yeah. let's be honest. Okay, um, so what you're saying is let's get very specific and actionable is if you like Bama, what do you do? You kick back and wait until about an hour before the game starts and then shop around. You should get a very cheap money line versus what you on Bama on Bama versus what you would see on any other normally priced four to four and a half point favorite. All right. So assuming four and a four and a half point favor, what is the typical money line? Minus 185. So right now looking, it's minus 185. So what you're saying is this phenomenon will happen late. Correct. And the odds makers always forget about it. And then the money forces them to get balanced and, action. And to repeat the rationale, it's people are betting this game that don't bet any other game. They don't want to bet a lot to win a little. They don't understand spread. So they're going to play the money line. They don't want to bet a lot to win a little. They want to bet a little to win a lot. That's you're getting like in boxing. A lot of those default. I want action bets on the money line dog. Very well said. And we'll use past history just in last year's national championship game was the biggest loss as far as a college football game in Nevada sportsbooks history because everyone not only bet Clemson plus the points, but they took Clemson on the money line. 
Now, if you like, uh, in this case, if you like Georgia, you don't even think about the money line. Or if you do, you bet early. Yeah, the only time you could bet it, in my opinion, would be right now before all the value is lost. All right, you got your marching orders. This is your wake-up call, pal. Go to work. Okay, let's talk about when. And we have a little bit. Money line, we've talked about the when. On the spread, let's go around the horn. We'll start with Brad. Where, where do you guess this number closes at, the spread? I think Alabama, four and a half. I'll stick with that, too. I think it's going to be above four, which is still a key number. But uh, I think it might flirt with five, go to five, and come back to four and a half. I think four to four and a half. I can see the Sharps betting this down to four. I At open, I laid three and a half because I didn't think. Do it- you think Georgia, and we're going to get to the leaner likes in a second. You think Georgia's the sharp side? I don't know yet. I got to see what happens over with these injuries. So why are you talking about them bending them down to four? I'm anticipating what they're going to do. I am Elma J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. (laughs) Oh, I love that. How much would I pay? Like, if you told me I'm going to pay you never to play that drop again, I'm not sure. I don't think I would take 700. Oh, 700? I would take 1,000. Oh, I thought it was going to be higher than that. Come on, you you said a thousand dollars was your price on seeing the Godfather for the first time. That's got to be worth more. Oh, what I said was, if I could go back in time and see the Godfather as a virgin to the Godfather, I'd pay a thousand bucks. I think that's got to be two thousand then. Uh, Godfather's high art. That's high art. This is just gut gut laughing <laughs> funny, which is valuable. Yes. Who are we kid? <laughs> I think this goes to five or five and a half. I can see this running because. I, I mean, I heard Colin today, and Colin, he thinks like a quasi-sharp at minimum. He doesn't fall prey to the, what the squares typically fall prey to. That second-level sharpness he doesn't typically have, but what he said is, Georgia, great win, you are going to get crushed. And I just think, I mean, how, if you see Bama, and it's just like they're there every year, what are you really going to get that tempted by the four, four and a half? You're thinking it's less than a touchdown. Fair I point. wouldn't be surprised if it's, I mean, what kind of odds would you give me Fez? This thing gets a six. Would you give me like four to one? That's a great question. Cause I do think there's a good chance at a coast or a station. I know when you say six, six anywhere is what you're saying, right? They, that's yeah, gonna be in your let's pocket. say two, let's say two places in Vegas and it's for more than an hour. So I'll make it a little tougher. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm not giving you four to one. All right. I think this thing runs a little bit. I think stations will have six. Yeah. Well, you got a couple square shops, right? Caesar stations. Let's go leaner like around the horn. I'm going to start with you, Ken. Yeah, I'm going to just, I'm going to lean to Alabama. Uh, I'd like to use my sources uh, close to the Georgia program. And I have several there more so than Alabama and just see uh, if I can find out somewhat about game plan going in. So is this code for saying, Wait and buy my late tele my my premium pick release at pregame.com? Yeah, that that's exactly what it's saying, RJ. But I, 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 I wasn't I wasn't really saying it for that effect. I, that's and, like on the old pro line. It's like, so who do you like in the Monday night game, Wayne Root? Yeah. It's like I got I got a call coming in right after the show. <laughs> and they, the guy said he knows for sure. Call eight hundred. Hey, listen, I, I mean, I, I, I love my college football and I've had some good games, but I've had some clunkers too. I mean, I'm 10 1 and 1 in my last 12 NFL games. And that's Fezzik's strong suit. I, I am Elma J. Foot, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. And, and one day he's going to let me on that yacht and in that mansion. <laughs> that was you, man. Oh, yeah. All right. right. So, so stay tuned, apparently, 
<laughs> lean Bama. I'm, I'm going to lean Bama initially. All right. But I'd I got like, it. Yeah. Brad, we're talking preferred side or total lean. Give me both. If you like, I want the side for sure. If you got a total lean, go with it too. Yeah, lean Alabama for me. Uh, stronger lean on the under for me. But the re- and the overall factor is I can't get over Nick Saban against his assistant coaches, and I can't get over the fact Alabama's been there, done that, against what I'm going to perceive a emotionally drained Georgia team. Fez. I'm going to lean Bama. I'm going to lean under. But I do want to mention what Ken said. It's very important. It's Tuesday. So we go ahead and we're going to do all our work. And certainly we could do a reevaluation where we become neutral on this game or, hey, Alabama could lose two linebackers. That would change everything. So this is not. So you're saying if the fundamental facts change, your opinion might change. Yes, this is not. Well, thanks for making sure. (laughs) I just want to be sure that that. this is non-legally binding what I'm saying right now. (laughs) But listen, guys, I was joking with Ken, but it is an interesting point is I think one of the reasons that. When we play this, you all love, or most of you, I think almost all of you love it. And I think it's justified, quite frankly. Bear with me. And I think it's because we give everything we got. Now, when there's 100 games or we're going over a dozen, one of the games Brad likes is going to be, you know, multiple ones or games he's selling. And... The fact of the matter is what we figure is the late information combined with knowing the star ranking, because even all his likes won't even be star ranked at all, makes it worth buying. Same thing with Fez. But one commitment everyone has to make coming in here is to participate. And this is the biggest sports betting pod. Like, I, I, if I had to guess, there's no one within 3X. Like, if you tripled the second biggest one, it wouldn't be this big. This is an opportunity for everyone's brand here. And you guys have done an amazing, I'll be honest, the work you guys put in, you deserve the exposure because it's been great this year. Uh, I think by far the best year of our dream preview. And to me, part of the initiation fee, the fee to this is you give everything. So, Faz, I get that things could change, but you're giving us your honest opinion here. Ken's giving us your honest opinion. You guys might have some, with, especially with you guys, you're going to have props up. So if you're interested in betting props, but you're not, we're not holding anything back. It sounds like it, but that's unacceptable. So let's just be and, and I know that's not what we're intending. So just to be clear, what let's go around the horn. Why not like Bama? Worried about the linebacker, the key linebacker that's in. So once that linebacker, if he comes back, you like Bama. Exactly. And I'll probably play him on the, on the money line because I think that will be the more optimal way to play it. Why not like Bama? Uh, just because of the game plan for Georgia, that if they do come out and they come out throwing, that I think that they can change things up. I think we're all looking at it as Georgia's strength but is there's a running a reason game. they haven't thrown much this year, right? They is haven't it? had to. They've had that dominant running game. They've run the ball down. So you're saying throw. they can throw. I think Fromm uh-huh. can throw, and I think that will put them off balance. I think all of a sudden Alabama's going to say, oh, wait, we don't want to get burned on a 60-yard play. Like I'm saying, first play of a series, I'm throwing that ball deep. Even if it's picked off in the back of their minds, they're thinking, we better not cheat up because they already have it that they're going to throw the ball deep. You never saw Clemson one time throw the ball deep to soften that front eight. Now, Brad, at the player level, do you think the Georgia quarterback, if 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 the game plan is about him uh, exploiting Alabama, I'm not. I don't want a Georgia ticket if that's the case. I mean, this is a guy. 
he did exceed my expectations against Oklahoma. I thought in a close game, you're a true freshman quarterback. Ken's right. They haven't been involved in close games. Only one game prior to the Oklahoma game had been decided by less than 14 points this year. He exceeded my expectations, but let's face it. Alabama's defense is going to put a lot more pressure than Oklahoma's defense. Leaner like, well, the reason it's not a like for Alabama for me is Alabama's offense. Uh, you know, we've seen them against superior uh, defenses against Auburn struggle. We've seen them against LSU struggle and we even seen them against Clemson struggle. I mean, they only got like 260 yards. What's and- so funny is it's like we're so obsessed with these box scores. It's like Alabama dominated that. I mean, or is that fair to say? Did Alabama yeah, dominate Clemson? They did, but let's also say their defense scored one of those uh, touchdowns. So they got 17 points but like on the offense. Steelers, the Steelers beat Minnesota in Super Bowl nine, and it was, what was it, 12 to two yeah, or something? Right. I can't. I mean, to some degree, if the other team can't score. True. But let's let's look like, at it the other way though too, because we're looking at a Georgia defense that just gave up you know forty eight points, fifty points, whatever it was, uh, forty eight points to an Oklahoma offense that Alabama runs nothing like Oklahoma. They don't have those receivers. They have one receiver worth of crap in Ridley. So you're talking about an Oklahoma team that not only has a good running game, but they've got the quarterback that's able to make plays, and they also have pretty good receivers all the way across the board. So all of a sudden we look at Georgia, and we're forgetting that Georgia's defense up until that game was part of their strength. They were that, I mean, the running game in the Georgia defense. That's what we looked at, RJ. The funny thing, back to the idea of Alabama and they didn't blow them out more, was if Saban went back and tried to trick play or threw a couple more passes and had a pick six against them. Neutral field, RJ. Who are you taking, Alabama or or Oklahoma? You know something? I was higher in Oklahoma than most anybody, but I certainly... If I could get Oklahoma to play the first in this half. game in this game, Alabama, Oklahoma mm-hmm. at, at plus four and a half, I would have made a big bet on Oklahoma, a big bet. But I certainly wouldn't. I would still take Bama, pick them. I think the line should be two and a half minus one twenty. Right, right. Be my pick line. Em, but I'm saying as yeah. far as the spread on a neutral field, I mean, going into the Rose Bowl, in other words, if you replace Georgia with Alabama. Uh, again, I don't know Alabama's defense as good as it was and the linebackers being a, a little deplete. I don't know if they can slow down Oklahoma. But what pertinence does that have to this game? Well, because we're talking about Georgia's dude. Nobody's talking about Georgia's defense. So you're saying we're losing because of the last we lost game, focus of Georgia's we're losing defense, sight of totally. how good the Georgia defense That's right. is. Well, if the defense isn't good, then they'd be 10-point dogs in this game, right? I mean, because is the Georgia offense considered that good? No, right, the running game is yeah, the best running in the country. Yeah, running game is top five in the country. You know, one thing we haven't discussed, and we really need to discuss this, is a little bit of regression analysis. Alabama has always been a much, much better program than Georgia, such that if these two teams played equally over an entire season, and they're not equal, but they played equally, you clearly would make Alabama the favorite with five to six weeks off because you would expect that that better program is going to rise and get better, and that program that's in a stratosphere that they've never been before is going to regress slightly. So you need to make an adjustment, I think, to assume that Alabama is going to improve slightly. And certainly that Georgia, there's nowhere to go but down because they're never as good as they've been over the course of this year. I think this is a great point to bring up. Ken brought in a sheet from the Golden Nugget and we're possible championship lines during championship weekend. So let's go back. So this is back to December 5th or whatever. Yeah, December 5th when the championship games were played. And they had a look-ahead line for Georgia and Alabama. Alabama was an eight-point favorite in this one. So what's happened since then? Georgia exceeded expectations against Auburn. They won outright. Really, to me, played an even game with Oklahoma. But remember now, and this is a key point. Yeah. 
whenever there's conditional lines, they only apply if Georgia would have beat. So the that yeah. eight assumed Georgia has already beaten Auburn. Yes. So, I, I mean, they really didn't exceed expectations much more than beating them. And Alabama did right? exceed expectations. So when I see an eight line here, to me, that screams value on Alabama. Hard to believe that line was off by more than f- by upwards of three to four and let's points. Let's be honest. Any world opener can be off with low limits, but uh, Gold Nugget with with Aaron Kessler down there and Tony Miller have a history of putting up world openers that they that they tell me they win on every year when you add it up. There's a couple of games that get bet like crazy, and everyone puts the tickets out at Brad Power Seven. <laughs> but and those are great bets. And let me say, I did go on record this year and said I thought Gold Nuggets World Openers and Game of the Year lines were the best I've ever seen this year. Of the Gold Nugget or any World Openers like that that early, like June or July? Any I've ever seen in the last decade. And that's a heck of a compliment. And remember, Brad worked with Phil Steele for almost eight years, so you've been exposed to a lot. And you guys, if I remember, used to help uh, Esler, or I'm sorry, uh, Kessler. They would not put out the lines until they got it. Our magazine. There we go. There we go. Yeah, I like Bama here. The last thing I'll say about this game. That is a like, not a lean. A like Bama. I'll check my Twitter or I might, I don't sell picks, but I might put a 25 dot. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Check pregame.com. Click buy picks. RJ special. No, I'm in between. I will tweet it before. If I, if I bet it, I'll tweet the ticket. I doubt I will though. uh, Bet it is last thing on this game. And here's why I like Bama. It's one dimensional. Like Georgia, if Ken's right and the, and the Georgia quarterback shocks us, then I would like Georgia. Like if God came down and said the Georgia quarterback's going to throw for 330 or whatever, yeah, you got a Georgia ticket. But I think the odds of that are far less than 55%. And, it, and all I need is 55%. And if Georgia's quarterback plays to, let's say, general expectation, how how does Bama not win? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, turnovers, they're going to have to have yeah. two or three turnovers. I mean, which offense. again is... It puts, which is an advantage, Alabama plus 13, plus five, Georgia. I mean, Fez, what do you think? I think that the Georgia coach is going to get ripped if he goes out and has um, Fromm be a gunslinger in the first quarter and he so throws two not, picks. So if he's not, how do they win? They're not what going to, and I and that's and that's so why, why Alabama's going to be alike, and it's why the I know what Ken's saying, but I don't I don't buy it. I don't buy a really smart coach doing absolutely the optimal thing and putting his legacy on the line to be second guessed. He'll be too conservative. That's what even good coaches do. Yeah, but the funny thing is, if you had a smart fan base. And you knew it's hard. It's almost like Rocky, right? Great reference. We always got to use Rocky if we can. Is Rocky said, listen, I know I can't win. I just want to go the distance. Like, if you know you can't win, you've got to make it as high variance. In fact, he was kind of doing the opposite. There's a reason Jim Valvano beat Houston. You've got to go outside the box from what they expect you to do. If you're the big underdog. That's exactly. You have nothing to lose because you're going to be able to come back and go, Look, if we did it the way you said, everybody else said, you're telling us we don't have a chance. So we took that chance. Oklahoma had nothing to lose, and all they did was run the ball the whole fourth quarter. All right. That's it for for the game preview. we got a couple other things we're going to get through quickly. We've got, uh-oh, uh-oh, speaking of Rocky, me and Ken, should Ohio State 
have made the playoffs with the benefit of hindsight. Brad, let's let the numbers speak first. Who in the country would be the smallest underdog against Alabama in this title game? Ohio State. Hmm. That should we just end the convert? No, wait, wait, wait. Now, but all joking aside, it's not who the best team is. It's who had the best season. Ken, who's the second best team in your power ratings? Is Bama one? And if so, who's number two? I'd, I'd have to say Georgia. I mean, Oklahoma impressed me, but I would say Georgia. Clemson definitely took a step down. I thought Clemson was much better than they were. Number one is Bama. Number one is Bama. Number two would be Georgia. Okay. So this is the smallest line you think that any other team. So Buckeyes, you would think would be what? Six point dogs against Bama? That's what I said. Someone like that. Yep. Fez, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. Sure. What, Six agree points? With what? <laughs> that, that, that I, I agree that Clearly, Ohio State's the second should be the second best team in the country right now. So you don't think the line should be six then? It should not be six. No, I, so I disagree. The line should be three and a half. <laughs> oh, Fast, take a swig of Mountain Dew. And we're going to start over. <laughs> well, the, right, who's the second best team in the country? Ohio State, but they don't deserve to be in the Final Four. Okay, so that let's segue to that question. So remember now, if we had the benefit of today's knowledge. We've seen the Big Ten have one of the greatest bowl runs ever. Maybe the greatest, right? So has anyone done better in seven and one? Mm-mm. Now, I'm a huge believer the bowls are the most important games of the year to tell you how good teams are. And here's why. We don't know between conferences how good a conference really is. Sometimes, you know, SEC back in the day, was so far above other conferences, they had four lost teams sometimes that were the 11th best team in the country. But we all kind of understood they're so good, they're kind of fighting each other, and they're going to have to lose some games, right? And then we've had times when the Big 12 was really down or different conferences or Big 10 was down that we would look at the second-best team in the Big 10 and not think they were the seventh-best team in the SEC. But record-wise, that second-best team in the Big 10 had a great record. So... Being able to assess how good a conference is is so vital because they play a vast majority of their games against each other, right? So now the question is, how do you assess how good a conference is? Well, you've got the the pre-conference games early in the year mostly, right? Sometimes later, but early in the year mostly. And let's be honest, the over-under for a top 30 team to have a game that really matters in pre-conference play is what, half? Oh, maybe half the teams have a game that matters and half the teams don't agree. So in very few have two. Yes. So we've got a handful of those games and then we got all the bowls. So when you see an sec team, you know, sec now, listen, got to give them credit. Now pre playoffs, it was a real disappointment. Now they won two games, give them credit. But with the big 10 being so much better than we thought, doesn't that make Ohio state's year significantly more impressive. Absolutely does. And I'm okay. I don't think it makes it any more impressive than Oklahoma. Oklahoma loses to the number two team in the country, and they went into the horseshoe, and they beat Ohio State. No one said Oklahoma. But you're asking me who I would have. uh, In other words, would I have Ohio State in the championship game? Hell no. I'd have Oklahoma before Ohio State. They beat Ohio State at Ohio State. But can they not be number two or three? Let's not obsess over who would be replaced, because that's a whole other conversation. But for me, Oklahoma wouldn't have been the team that would have gotten replaced. But so... To me, the question is, were there four teams more deserving? We all know Alabama's the better team, the best team in the country, it would seem. 
But the question is, did they have one of the best seasons? And 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 yeah. after seeing the Big Ten, mm-hmm. I think Ohio State's season looks better. I agree with that. I mean, I definitely agree with that. The way that the Big Ten performed in bowl games, I'd elevate Big Ten's overall play in conference because I didn't think the conference was that good during the year. And you're right. Maybe it's because they were beating up each other. And a team like Wisconsin playing yep. so well. Very impressive. Fast. I'm having trouble how you can count the bowl games to make Ohio State better, but not count the bowl games to elevate Alabama, though. Well, I I think you do elevate Alabama, but I think in general, the SEC, you would say, well, what was the and SEC? How would you record? elevate yeah, Alabama? How would you when elevate Auburn Alabama? Loses. Auburn, Auburn loses, lost. LSU loses, they didn't play Georgia. Alabama crushed the the number one team in the country. I mean, I don't see who you can take out. You look oh. at the current Final Four. Oh, oh you're counting. Of course, Ohio game. State's okay. better. But, but was Alabama's performance any better than Ohio State's against USC? Oh yeah, I think so. Clemson was number one in the country. Oh, that, that's that's bullshit. I mean, I mean, it, we can. Clemson's talk. way better than USC. Way better. Mm. Well, and and well, no, I don't doubt that, but. I guess what I'm saying is their defense is oh. their offense couldn't hold a candle to USC's offense. Offense, look, USC lost to Ohio State, only put up six points, but they put up 413 yards. Okay, against the Buckeye defense. I, I can't take Alabama out when and they were the number four team and they just had this comp- the most dominant game. But but Fez. And, and again, this is what everyone does, so I get it. You're mixing up how good a team is versus how good their season has been, and I think what you got to do is is I think you're right. If you add in how good Alabama looks, you would say they're clearly the best team. But I'm saying the idea of who had the best season, which is a different discussion. If you take away Ohio State beating USC, you take away Bama beating Clemson, but you have all the other information. I think relatively Ohio State looks better because, quite frankly, the SEC even with those wins, the SEC is what was three and three or something. That, that's play? a great point. So, in other words, if they had played all these bowl games in September, except for the Alabama Clemson game, mm-hmm. we've gotten all these results. I think it would have made the difference. Or and, even and, take out the Ohio State USC, right. saying those two games don't matter. But how good's the SEC otherwise? How good's the Big Ten otherwise? I think Ohio State having two losses in the Big Ten and being the Big Ten champ, finishing the way they do, they would have got in over Alabama. They, they wouldn't got in because, frankly, it was very close. Four well, and hope. five, and that would have made the difference. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting. All right, last football question in college. Central Florida. Now, we talked about a line. Matty Holt, who is an expert in both sides, both college and pro, biggest bookmaker in Vegas, had Central uh, Florida against Alabama in a hypothetical matchup by 11. Brad, you think it's 14? Yeah, definitely 14. Faz, 14? Yeah, initially I had it higher, but, you know, that Auburn win was super impressive. They really dominated that game 14. I'll, st- I'll stick with the guys. I mean, that makes sense to me. And I think if Central Florida plays their A game to where they may be taken lightly by an SEC school like maybe Auburn did psychologically, again, we're going up against a 12-0 and team out of the AAC, the American Athletic. So I'm not really worried about them. If it's a 12-0 and team coming from the Big 12, I'm going to take them seriously. Now, this is one I don't want to debate. I just want your own opinion. We'll go around the horn, starting with Brad, is after seeing Central Florida go undefeated, seeing the passion of those kids, for the good of college football, in hindsight, what do we do with a Central Florida? Are you talking, should they be in a 14 playoff or should there be an 18 playoff? Let's stay in this current world. I would not have them in a 14 playoff. I have no... uh, 
I have no qualms with them not getting in whatsoever. I right. agree. I agree. I have no qualms with them not getting in based on the schedule that they played. We didn't even realize about this conversation until they beat Auburn. You know, we weren't even thinking it's about not talking like they about had, this. You know, if they had a couple of Power 5 wins in non-conference, then I think you can make it. Their only game that they were going to play a Power 5 team, Georgia Tech, didn't get played. And the game, the, the way they beat Memphis and South Florida, two teams in their conference were wild shootouts and crazy endings. That they, Quite frankly, with South Florida, they're tied with 30 seconds to go. They run the kickoff back. Can't put in a team that would have been a 14-point dog against somebody else. So what was the Alabama? What game am I thinking of? Was it Alabama-Washington? What was it in the semis? Oh, great point. 15. Hmm. So... I didn't. I don't remember you rallying against Washington. Well, railing against Washington. My, my my point is, you couldn't have taken. If Washington was the fourth best team, or roughly the fourth best team. You can't take out the best team to put in a team that's fourteen points worse. If you got a team like Alabama that's completely dominant, they're going to be a fourteen point favorite against anybody that's the fourth best team. Okay, so can you have? You can then have. You can have point a under. fourteen point dog. You can no. have a twenty point dog. They just can't, can't be, be Central Florida. It can't be Central Florida. So in <laughs> general, replacing the best team. In general, in general, your logic is it just can't be Central Florida. If you have to choose between two teams, you take the team that's 14 points better. Well, is it about the best season or not? Because let's think about this. If we're just counting losses. But we were looking at Washington with a Pac-12 schedule as opposed to Central Florida with an American athletic schedule. No, no. So, But if we're just counting losses, Central Florida's in. But the yeah. reason Ohio State, the people who didn't think Ohio State should have gotten in at the time contemporaneously of that we were debating losses. this, it was they had two losses. So having zero doesn't get you in, but having two eliminates you. Can I tell you something? I really think that, and I know it's crazy to say in hindsight, it's 2020, but if Ohio State lost by one point at Kinnick Stadium and they, and they had that other loss to Oklahoma, I think they're in. Agreed. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Which brings up the whole idea of margin shouldn't matter, right? Wasn't that the whole debate? They said it doesn't, but obviously it did. Margins should matter. Uh, let me let me quantify my point. Minimum standards, all things being equal, if you have the best year end, you're not a clearly double digit underdog, then you can make a case for a twelve and O team. Why don't they just have like a fourteen playoff for the group of five? Is it called group of five? Is yep. that why not just have a fourteen playoff for them? That's a good point. Just have a separate well, I think we're going in that direction. If you go super team conferences, I think all these other ones are going to be, it's like a totally different division. We're going that way in the next five to seven years. I'll tell you this, and maybe this is like, I, I've never been a UFC guy, um, but part of me wants to get into it, but I kind of feel like I'm behind. And it reminds me of the old, like when I was 14, friends of mine started a band and they had played guitar and drums or whatever for like a year. And I was thinking of playing keyboards and I'm like, oh, I'm too far behind. You know, I was 14. <laughs> so, but <laughs> the, I love the idea of the guy that is the jujitsu guy and the other guy comes in and he's the best collegiate wrestler ever. So, and I know kind of, we've learned at UFC that jujitsu, if you don't know that you're, you're effed. So you got to know that, but the idea of di different disciplines, right. Competing for the same thing. Like I love, I loved back in the day when like Marymount in college basketball, you know, that Hank. I lived right there. I lived it, right there. I, I went to their practices, Loyola Marymount in Westchester, California. With, with Bo Campbell. With, and, Bo's one of my good buddies. Bo stays at my house when he comes out here. Is, wow, that's impressive. Is the 
to me, what was so cool was it, it, there's a school you don't expect to compete with Duke or North Carolina. Their practice, RJ, real quick. They ran a simulated game, a 40-minute game. If they did not get a shot off in seven seconds, he did not. Paul Westhead didn't care if you played defense, worth a lick. If you did not get a shot off both sides going five on five in seven seconds, stop the simulated clock game, uh, game clock, make your run suicides. When they played Michigan in the in the play in the uh, NCAA tournaments in Long Beach, it was the greatest thing because you had all these kids from Flint and Detroit. Michigan was winning thirty-seven to twelve out of the gate. They were looking at over at LMU and just, are you serious? Are you serious? You were, we're kids from D, we're going to kill you. With eight minutes to go in the game, they were down 30. They were walking the ball across midcourt. It was a 55-point swing in a game in a matter of 25 minutes because LMU baited them into that game. They knew they had the stamina, and they knew there's no way Michigan could play at that pace, and they got buried. And, I mean, obviously Hoosiers is one of the great sports movies, but the idea back in the day Indiana would have all the conferences or the the size schools playing the same open invitational or whatever, I just – like how are even just if they were fourteen point dogs, right? They win what one out of nine games in college. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, is to me, I like if I had that. Now listen, CTE and the concussion stuff makes another game tough. But in a perfect world, all five conference champs are in two wild cards at large, whatever you want to call it. And one group of five, the best group of five by by the committee vote gets in. And then you rank them. There's no, I mean, that, that best of five might be number one or, or power or uh, group of five might be number one. Obviously, very, very unlikely. That to me, you got your one Cinderella every year. Conference championships matter. And you got two wild cards. And it's hard to over debate because you didn't win your conference championship. So, you know, it's hard to feel too aggrieved. Right? Yeah. No, like I don't it? have too much of a problem with that. Well, what I think it's perfect. I'm all for it. What? I, what how does it get better? Well, I kind of like, I don't know. I'm kind of, I want to go to six first. I want to have the, you know, the regular season matter. Like you go on. Oh my God. And, I think six is the worst. How would you get the top two teams get a buy? I know. But now that two and three decision is such an extreme decision. That's true. So this year you. And were, then you'll have people saying, well, there was an advantage to not having the buy. They, they, they got to play and they were fresh and ready off a game. Well, I'll take you'll the buy anytime. I know. You know, eight is so clearly optimal and RJ systems phenomenal because it lets the little guy in and there's a lot of interest there. And I'll tell you why eight's optimal. And it's, it's not even debatable. Because four is so obviously light years better than two that clearly, we, if you had to choose between two and eight, eight is going to be way better. And once we would go to eight, I'm confident within five years, the question would be, should we go to 16 and not? Well, well should we go back to four? Well, Come on. to me, the thing I don't like about the NCAA, though, quite frankly, they've created something wonderful, which is winning a round or two and we're going to wrap up here and go to the CBB in a second, but going to one or two um, uh, rounds in the NCAA tournament, like you've done something if you make the sweet 16. But to me, the reason I think eight makes sense, but 16 doesn't, I know the number five team can win it, right? Cause Ohio state was the number four team a couple years ago. They won it. Bama was the number four team this year. They're uh, favored to win it. Yep. I know the five team can win it. If Ohio State would have gotten in here, they had a chance to win it. Not for sure, obviously. I don't think the nine team can win three games in, in you know maybe one out of fifty years. Penn State would be nine this year, right? Uh, see, and I think they they'd have a shot. 
So would Penn State be nine? I think you got to put USC and Ohio State five six. You got you got your group of five team. That's number seven. So they're at least number eight. That's as high yeah, as they, they were behind be. Auburn in the final committee. Yeah, but you never know how the com- yeah. how the committee's agenda changes yes, when they know what teams out of it. But uh, and maybe you're right. Nine can win occasionally, but you know you know seventeen can't win. And, Pe- so. and Penn State was like the best nine team we've ever seen right. this year. So yeah, because Ken, you were saying before the show, you thought. Penn State might be the second best team in the country. I'm serious. I mean, look at their loss. A one-point loss at the Horseshoe, and then a, a game where there was a three-hour rain delay in East Lansing, and we saw a dominant Michigan State became outside of the game against Ohio State, and we all said, oh, Michigan State's nothing, but they beat Penn State after that long rain delay on the last play of the game. I and mean, those are the two losses for Penn State. Yeah. And the Big Ten looks better now, as we've said. And okay. Penn State wins by a touchdown, but you know that game was, should have been three touchdowns. They, yep. they dominated Guys, if you don't bet the NBA or college basketball, you can drop off. This will be a good tease to see what we're going to be doing as we move to the collegiate side of basketball and the NBA side, obviously, of basketball starting very, very soon. We're going to go around the horn, rapid fire, not too much depth, is I want two teams that are misrated. It could be overrated. It could be underrated. Ken, let's start with you. Okay, I'm going to go with, uh, t- actually, I, I didn't see underrated right out of my gate, but I saw two in the top five that I thought are overrated. Villanova, who's just dropped down to number three uh, with their first loss against Butler. And this is a team that could have lost several games. I watched them play against Western Kentucky uh, in a neutral court, and they were very fortunate to win that game. They're not big down low. They lack size. Brunson is a, is a good point general and a good leader. But this team is going to lose several times inside the Big East. So they're overrated. And then Arizona State, to me, very overrated to, to where they made their jumps right into number three in the country. And it happened because they ran the table. They shoot the ball well. They have three outstanding guards that all shoot. Trey Holden's outstanding. Cody Justice. These guys can flat out knock down the triple left and right. And Bobby Hurley's got that mentality like just go out there he gives them a green light so the guys aren't afraid to miss but when they play a big team down low more times than not they're going to get out rebounded and they're not going to get a lot of second shot opportunities when they went to kansas and beat kansas at fog allen fieldhouse after beating st john's on a friday they beat kansas on a sunday and kansas was coming off a loss in kansas city that's why it catapulted arizona state with that win where they came back from 10 down in the first half and won the game by 10 95 85 that's the reason that they jumped up. Both those teams are outstanding, Villanova and uh, and Arizona State, but they're not number three and number five, respectively. So in general, if I said you have to play on or against these teams, you're forced to either on or against the next 10 games, you'd go against both I'd go of them. against both of them spread-wise, and I'd go against both of them if it got down to the Sweet 16 and beyond. Brad, disagree with either of those. I don't disagree. In fact, I strongly agree with one of them. Arizona State was the team. You asked us to isolate one team. Arizona State was the first team that came to my mind. And let's sum up what happened with them. It culminated with the Kansas win in Fog Allen, a Kansas program that never loses there. That was their ninth straight cover, Arizona State. They were kind of flying under the radar, but that win put them on the national radar. Since they're they're one two and one against the number, they just lost their first game outright to Arizona on the road. They have two more road games coming up in Pac-12 play. I would not be a bit surprised they lose one or two of those games outright. I'm fading the Sun Devils. One other reason, and I'm going to use this a lot in some of the Dream podcasts. Ken Pomeroy's rankings, his adjusted defensive rankings. Arizona State is the only team in the top 25 that doesn't have a top 100 defense. I like the fade teams that can't stop, especially when they're laying inflated point spreads, which is the case for Arizona State. Okay, now it's one thing to be overrated when it comes to 
the AP poll or USA Today or whatever, are both of these teams in your mind, or let's start with Arizona State specifically, overrated when it comes to the spread currently? They are overrated against the spread currently, and we've seen it in the last four games. Second mispriced team for for you, Brett. I'm going to go underrated. I'm going to go with the Purdue Boilermakers, who everyone threw in the trash because they had a couple of losses early in the season, one to Tennessee as a significant favorite, and then to Western Kentucky as a 19-point favorite. But since then, this is a team that's won nine straight games, seven and two against the number. They're still kind of being undervalued. This is a team that's not even in the top 10 of the AP poll, but in my power rings, I got them in the top five. And if you look at Ken Pomeroy's rankings, there's only two teams in the country that have a top 11 offense, top 11 defense. One of them is Michigan State, who's the number one team in the country. The other team is this Purdue Boilermaker team. I'm buying the Purdue Boilermakers as an underrated team. There's value on them. I want to bet on them. Okay, good stuff on the college side. And we'll be talking about college every week on the Basketball Dream Preview. Fez, you specialize in the professional side, just like the NFL. Give us a mispriced team. I like the Clippers. They really are a team that had their dreams crushed going into the year. This is a team consistently making the So how can your dreams be crushed going into the year? Well, you lose Chris Paul, and all of a sudden you know you're not a contender. And you're you're contending year after year. They're the number four, the number five seed. It makes sense that there'd be a hangover. Then your remaining best player, Blake Griffin, gets injured. And he's been out as well. You play more road games than home games, and you're a below 500 team. And the market's price you like you're a below 500 team. But they just got Blake Griffin back, and I love the scheduling dynamics also. they December 23rd, they play at Memphis. That's the last game they had to leave Los Angeles. They've been home for 10 days. They're playing much better. They did play a road game, but it was against the Lakers. So they haven't had to leave L.A., all these other teams with these crazy travel schedules, and the Clippers have been able to focus and be at home. I see the buy sign blinking on the Clippers that are used to their role being right around a 500 team. I think they'll be slightly better than 500, but they're still getting valued like they're a below-average team. Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. Is there, last question, is there any profile on the Clippers that you're, you want to play on a more on the road, more at home, more as a dog, more as a favor, a clear subset, you like him even more? I do not have a clear subset, but I'll be working on that subsequent episodes. All right. Well, guys, excellent stuff. I mean, I thought this was a real chance to, to leisurely go through this stuff and and the boys did not disappoint listen if you're playing most almost all of you guys that listen to the dream preview listen to the nfl too but if you don't take a minute and think about this we're going to be having the basketball coming up soon college and pro we all obviously have the nfl every week throughout the super bowl through the super bowl week also two new podcasts on this channel so this is the time no doubt about it, to subscribe. If you're kind of willy-nilly getting them from my Twitter, that's fine, but this way you'll get all the new shows too. One of them is called Don't Bet On It. And what that's going to be is we're going to take the hottest takes of the week, Colin, Stephen A., Clay Travis, it doesn't matter who makes it, and there's no quarter going to be given. We're going to have that cold, hard cash, Vegas perspective, deconstructing these hot takes And number two, we've got the Vegas Truth interview show. We already have a couple in the can. The first one, Oscar Goodman and me sat down for almost two hours talking about Casino, the movie, his history, and all of that stuff. It was a great pod. I was 
quite frankly, honored. That will be coming out soon. So please subscribe on your favorite player to this feed. and You'll get all that stuff. Talk to you there. Thanks for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for R.J.? You can contact him directly on Twitter at R.J. in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. Now, if you're hearing my voice, it means you like podcasting. And if you like podcasting, well, then you're going to love my show. Lots of funny segments, good bits, great guests, and of course, moi. That's Mexican for me. So check it out at Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you, you listen to find podcasts. The Adam Carolla Show. Throw it on your phone. It's free.